Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome back to Angel on Top, a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of Angel one by one, spoiler free, and in tandem with Buffering the Vampire Slayer. I'm your host, LaToya Ferguson, and before I tell you about today's episode of Angel, we are doing a special intro installment of Kristen's Corner right here at the top. Take it away, Kristen. Oh my gosh. Hi, everybody. Here I am. It's so early to hear my voice. Usually I'm here to talk about, you know, Cordelia or Cordelia or even sometimes Cordelia. But today I'm actually here to tell you two other joyful things. Uh, Believe it or not, there are some joyful things outside of simply Cordelia. In the buffering and angel on top universes for many a season now, we have been so honored that our Scoobies, you listeners, have run holiday gift exchanges. There are now two holiday gift exchanges. And as we have become one, just like the Spice Girls always said we would here in this podcast feed, the gift exchanges for our patrons are also now combined. That means if you are a patron of Angel on Top, if you are a patron of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, that means that now is the time to sign up for that Scooby gift exchange or also the Scooby book exchange. Both of the links to sign up for those gift exchanges are the most recent post on both Angel on Top and Buffering the Vampire Slayer's Patreon feeds. And also, if you are one of our Black or Indigenous listeners, you likely know this already, but you'll get an email with those links to sign up as well. All of the digital perks available on both Patreon accounts are accessible for free for our Black and Indigenous listenership. The other thing that I want to tell you about is that we're doing some fundraising for Georgia and for the runoff elections in Georgia. Stacey Abrams, you probably know. Stacey Abrams is a massive political force, a massive force in general, and did so much organizing along with so many others locally in Georgia to flip the state blue. Hell fucking yeah, Georgia. And there are runoff elections happening in January for two very critical Senate seats. Stacey Abrams is also a massive Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. We would be doing this fundraising no matter what, but it is very special that Stacey is a Buffy fan, has a lot of opinions about Angel and Spike that have been floating around the internet lately. I'm not going to go into them here because they may or may not contain a few spoilers. But what I will tell you is this, right now and through the end of the day on Sunday, November 22nd, we're running a giveaway. So you can head to bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash for Georgia. That's F-O-R-G-E-O-R-G-I-A. 
bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash for Georgia. And you'll see that we have many bundles of the Buffy Boom comics that are signed by Jenny and myself. Uh, we're going to be adding to that page uh, in the next couple of weeks as well. We've raised with your help and with your entries into that giveaway already over $1,800 that we'll be donating to Fair Fight. That is the place that Stacey Abrams herself has asked for people to donate. Uh, the links are all found on that page, bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash for Georgia. One other small thing you'll notice towards the end of this episode that Max audio changes a bit. We had a couple of little technical difficulties with the audio. It's not a big deal, but I just didn't want you to be surprised. Luckily, everything that Mac and Latoya say far transcends any need for perfect audio. Okay, so stay tuned in the next couple of weeks for more. Uh, I'm going to stop talking now because the reason you're here, of course, is to hear Latoya Ferguson along with Mac McDade talk about this episode. Back to you, LaToya. Thanks, Kristen. This week, we're watching Angel Season 3, Episode 3, That Old Gang of Mine, and joining me as co-host is Buffering the Vampire Slayer and Angel on Top consultant, Mac McDade. That Old Gang of Mine was written by Angel Heavy Hitter, Tim Manier, and directed by Fred Keller. It aired on the WB on October 8th, 2001. This is the one where Gunn discovers that his old vampire hunting crew has decided that gang violence is actually good. This is also the one where Angel the series gives up on pretending it cares about Gunn's old vampire hunting crew altogether, which is probably for the best considering the makeup of a who was writing the show. Hello, Mac. Hello, hello, hello. Mac, since this is your, I guess, your first official time on Angel on Top, I've got to know, what is your angel origin story? My angel origin story was being a little girl who thought that, you know, Angel was very dreamy. And so when he got a spinoff, <laughs> followed him right into perdition. I mean, you're not wrong. He is dreamy. And we will be discussing that in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, and then the other thing is I live in Los Angeles, so it was actually kind of fun to be like, that is not what that very real place in L.A. actually looks like. That was the other fun part of the show, which is why I <laughs> stuck around a lot. <laughs> well, no, as we all know, South L.A. Uh, is just all warehouses for street urchins to live in, basically. <laughs> are, you're, are you excited to talk about this episode, Mac? I am so excited because it's just, it is... I actually told Kristen, I was like, I rewatched it and was like, maybe it's not as bad as I remember it being, right? Because sometimes, you know, you'll rewatch something and like you start to see the bad things. And so like you get like intense about it. It's like, maybe it's it's not as bad as I remember. And then I rewatched it. I was like, oh, no, nah, this is exactly as bad as I remember it. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> I mean, I think there are interesting concepts in the episode. And all, uh, most of my notes, a lot of my notes are just like, and this could be interesting if they did this a different way. <laughs> Tim Manier in 2007, uh, I saw an interview he did, and he talked about this episode. And I, I want to read that uh, real quick, this quote, which is, the interviewer asked, uh, prior to its airing, I read that you were pleased with the script for that old gang of mine, uh, yet the pleasure went away once it was produced. What changed? To which Manier said, no, I always pretty much loathed that script, but I felt, uh, weak as the script was, that 
had it been shot differently, that it would have made a huge difference. As it happened, it was my weakest script coupled with the most unfocused direction. Just painful all the way around. Uh, well, I like that he says it's his weakest script, but I also think that uh, this quote basically puts all of the onus on the director. And I think that the problems with this episode are very much a writing situation. Yeah, like you can only direct things so much. It is, uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, the way writer's rooms work, obviously there are multiple writers and they all, you know, take turns writing scripts, but ultimately like the buck stops at the showrunner because they are, you know, imitating the showrunner's voice and the showrunner will do the final revisions. Uh, and so you hear a lot about how, you know, when there's like a great joke or something and the writer's like, oh, that was actually a Joss thing. Uh, you don't really hear, and then, well, this is a bad episode because of Joss, you know, arguably the same thing could be said he was still doing the final passes on bad episodes of television, you know? Well, it's like Glee. So something like if you were a hardcore Gleek, you know when Ryan was heavily involved in an episode. Yes. Based on what it sounds the like. The Glee writer's room is an insane thing different from a lot of other writer's rooms. Yeah. So like, I don't understand why people think we also don't have the same sense with Joss Whedon projects. Like, we know when it was Joss. So I think there is an interesting story to be told. Uh, about, you know, humans deciding that they're going to be proactive against the monsters. And considering the Shades of Grey, Angel especially, the show, lives in with monsters and the good or the bad or just the in-between. There's a lot you can kind of get from that. Uh, and especially the idea of, like, hunting monsters for sport as opposed to, you know, hunting monsters for science, which is what we had with the initiative in season four of the B-Word show. This is not an, a story that should be told in one episode and then we say goodbye. This is something that should have been a gradual thing. We've noted in the past episode that this was originally supposed to be episode two of season three. Uh, there, there was a switch. Um, so this is an episode that's just like, let's finally get the story, the gun crew story out and just done with, basically, instead of giving it the time and care it deserved and needed. Yeah, and it also feels like they were looking at, and again, it's a Joss show, so you know it was arced out for quite a few seasons. So I feel like it it's such an afterthought. Like, knowing how Joss Whedon operates, this is clearly an afterthought if you're planning out how you want something to go. But, like, also, if it's an afterthought, make it a good afterthought. Like, you <laughs> absolutely should have had this conversation, but, like, once you realize you need to have it, and, like, you're going to half-ass it, use half of, like, Nicki Minaj's ass, not, like, half of Heidi Klum's ass. Like, if you're going to do it. <laughs> like. Again, there were only white writers on this show. <laughs> we should uh, note that again. And it's weird. One thing I was thinking, like, early in my, like, prep for this uh, episode, something I never really thought about, but it, it kind of works, is that it's, like, a bullshit version of, like, a Malcolm versus Martin thing. Where, mm -hmm. like, uh. Gunn is the white people's version of Martin Luther King. And obviously, Jill and the crew are Malcolm X, which makes them the bad guys. Uh, yeah, this is like the version of MLK that's only I have a dream and nothing else. So the white version of Malcolm Martin Luther King. <laughs> exactly. So, of course, that's a good one. And in the end, that wins. And South LA just will never be saved by Angel and company again, apparently. It, and here's the thing. It, it's not even an appropriate lift of Martin versus Malcolm. It's, again, showing that Joss Whedon is a comic book nerd because it's a direct lift of some of the worst 90s X-Men uh, storylines. Mm -hmm. Like, that's really what it is. Had it been a direct lift of that conversation of, like, you know, not even Martin and Malcolm, but, like, a Jesus and the John the Baptist, right? There's always those two. That's what makes a story good. That's what makes progress happen, right? 
he didn't even do that. Like, they didn't give it the energy of having, like, a clash of Titans ideas and practice. It is very much, like, these are a character of Magneto's evil. These are a character of the righteous X-Men, you know, led by uh, an all-knowing, slightly too old white dude. Yes, you have the good guys who are Team Angel and, of course, the bad guys who are not Team Angel. And it's just like, and you know especially that it's not even trying to do Shades of Grey with humans, surprisingly, uh, when they get guns in there. Because that's, uh, of course, the universal B-verse sign for bad. If you've got some guns, you're bad. Which is a question I've had through every run of both of these shows. It was like, did, why, don't we have like a wooden bullet gun? Like, don't we have, like, there's got to be a... Wooden bullets are actually something very common in uh, the Vampire Diaries. Uh, so, which is the other show I'm obsessed with. Good, good, good. Yes, we're gonna get along famously. <laughs> the physics of wooden bullets, of course, don't actually make sense uh, because they would just burn up <laughs> as soon as they were shot. Yeah, but they're cool, and that's the thing. Okay, but I mean, it, it, physics. We're gonna talk about physics. We have vampires. No, science matters. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have to bring it up every time wooden bullets come up because again, they are cool, but they would they would just burn if you you shot them through a gun. That's just the way it is. Before we get like right into like the the beat by beat of the episode, I do want to say that um so at the end of season two of Angel, we were just talking about how you know everyone's kind of learning their lessons while they're in Pylea, except for Gun, which like it seems like his own lesson is to learn that Wes is the leader, basically. Um, because Gunn basically just chooses to be a subservient soldier instead of, like, a leader is what happens. And I understand there is a, like, again, there is a story to to be told about, like, he, like, his self-loathing because, like, basically he puts himself in the soldier role because what happened with him as a leader. But, like, even Rondell notes, like, you know, you actually were a good leader and we still needed you. And you would think the story would eventually be for Gunn to step up as a leader. That's, like, what it should be. And that's just not it. (laughs) Not even a little. Not at all. And just one more thing. I believe uh, this episode is what officially reveals that the whole no demon violence thing in Kiritas is actually a spell and not just, like, something uh, Lauren hopes everyone will do, you know? Which always made me a little sad because I just kind of felt like, we respect Lauren and this sweet little baby (laughs) so much that we are not going to act a fool so that we don't have to be gathered. Great. But no, it's magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I watched this on Netflix, uh, on Hulu, and there were no previouslys. And I note that because, so the opening scene in this episode really works better when you have the previouslys. Did you see it with previouslys, Max? Uh, no, because I watched it on Hulu as well. Yeah. So in the previouslys, part of that is obviously the Merle stuff, you know, but the other part of that is Darla and Angel and what where Angel left Darla in season two and how he treated her, uh, you know, after they had sex. So this opening scene, of course, is supposed to be a fake out that he's apologizing to Darla, who we know is on her way uh, pregnant uh, to, to go see daddy, basically. Yeah, I actually when it first started, like I haven't seen this episode in a very long time. And but I remember that like that was a previous story. And I was like. I don't remember him losing his goddamn mind. What? Um, and then it yeah. pulls out. I was like, got you. The bit only kind of works because the bit only works if you know what the context is for why why the shot's like a close-up like that. And otherwise, like, who is he? Who are we supposed to think he's apologizing to, you know? 
I mean, he should be repositing to Cordy for many, many reasons, but uh, <laughs> I'm a Cordy stan account, so <laughs> are we not all a Cordy stan account? Angel is actually apologizing to Merle poorly uh, for everything he did to him during his uh, Beige Angel angle arc. He's literally reading his apology off note cards. <laughs> uh, it's it's a bad apology. Uh, a- Cordy has to end up talking to Merle, which is how you basically learn that Cordy is the one who wrote the note cards. Then we get something I love, which is Petty Angel. It's really good that he was given his own show. He's so good at that. Of like, just like having different shades of angel. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those moments where it shines through really well. <laughs> he gets to give you all of it, like the versions of angel you love. Petty angel, shallow angel, old man angel. Old man angel who is, of course, cheap angel. <laughs> right? <laughs> the like inappropriate sexual tension with Cordy angel. Uh <laughs> See, you, so you say inappropriate, so this will be at odds with uh, our, our guest, uh, Connor Goldsmith, who was uh, on for that vision thing. I just think it's inappropriate because he's so, like, emotionally constipated. Like... <laughs> but what man isn't? <laughs> but yes, uh, when uh, Angel goads uh, Merle into hitting him, that's how we learn that the whole no demon violence thing is not just a suggestion or sign. It's a thing that uh, prevents demons from even trying it. And Angel knew that, and he was being a little stinker. And that, of course, comes into play further later in the episode. Merle no longer wants to see these people ever again, but he does need a ride home. So Gunn gives him a silent ride. And Gunn, by the way, who was having a ball watching uh, Angel mess with Merle, he thought it was hilarious. He took no part in like the mediation. He was laughing so much. That is the black person in that situation behaving appropriately. I'm gonna watch these black people act a damn fool and I'm gonna get my kicks. Like, yeah. that's what we all would have been doing. <laughs> so far, so good. Merle goes home and he is uh, murdered in his home. And it's, of course, filmed in a way to make you think it's another very devious monster. Um, R.I.P. Merle. I will remember you. Will you remember me? So that that's that's appropriate, right? Yeah, it's vintage CW. Vintage the WB, Mac. Show some respect. Okay, the WB. Excuse me. Excuse me. We respect the WB in this house. Flashback. Gunn and his uh his sister Alana after she's been turned into a vampire. Gunn is not over that trauma, in case anyone was wondering. Uh because no one <laughs> surprise, in- surprise. Because he has not dealt with it and is not like anyone in the show goes to therapy, which is just the way we like him. You don't have well-adjusted vampire hunters. They like they wouldn't be like monster hunters anymore if they were well-adjusted. Uh, no, I would actually like to say that both Dawn and Giles are actually very well-adjusted. They could actually, you could put them in a different show and they'd be fine. Well, yes. And Dawn's not allowed to do anything with <laughs> the Scoobies because she's too well-adjusted. And Giles just left. <laughs> Because he's so well-adjusted. So see, being well-adjusted, you get out of here. In the premiere, I was like, they should get therapy. But now I'm against therapy. You try to get therapy on this show, you're out of the gang. <laughs> I just felt so bad. 
like <laughs> for baby gun i just feel like so bad yeah for his mental health yeah and he's not talking to anyone not even wesley who was like he got and, like the people he works with are like yeah like yeah. wesley he, and angel these are the other two men because yeah. <laughs> like, yeah wesley needs therapy too but yeah he wesley and he, him were close but again post pilea after seeing leadership wesley that it's not the closest is not there anymore and it, it only like the, the drift even continues at the end of this episode yeah they did both of those dudes dirty that could have been some like iconic duo it's uh, it's lonely at the just... top mac that's what wes is learning it's also lonely at the bottom which is what gun's learning it's just lonely yeah, <laughs> it's just lonely that, that's like... the, the point of the show so gun wakes up from his uh, terrible nightmare, which is probably something, a nightmare he has all the time. Uh, and we see Gunn's apartment, wherever that is. Can I also have, like, a, a black girl pet peeve that we spell her name with an O? Wait, what? So they spell Alana's name with an O? They do? And it bothers me. Oh, yeah, yeah it's spelled with an O. I don't like that at all. I was like, why couldn't it just be Alana? Like, like from the freaking Little Mermaid. Like, you, you expressly had to make everybody's name some sort of slight twist on the way in which it would traditionally, quotation marks, be spelled. Also, his name is Gun. Like, we, we are pandering to a lot of interesting stereotypes very subtly. Like, I mean, his name is Charles, and Gun just happens to be his last name. So it's Alana with an O, Gun, as well. She is also Gun. Yeah, it's just like, okay. Gun's apartment, wherever it is, because he's not living in the hotel, and he's clearly not living... In the same neighborhood as his old crew. Where's Gun live, you guys? That's what I want to know. I think it's like East LA. Like uh, it feels like like before they start gentrifying, like Los Feliz. I'm sure that's where it is, but I want to see more. I, I all I see is that he does not have a fitted sheet. He just has a sheet over the mattress. But at least like he has like a headboard and everything. He's almost an adult man. He does have a beeper. He gets beeped. Basically, it's time to come for a case. I'm confused by the fact that, so he, he finally shows up at Merle's and they say he's two hours late. So was he sleeping, like just oversleeping basically and didn't hear it until now and that's why? Or did he get the beep and then still didn't come till two hours later, which I don't understand. I mean, also I think it might just be a way for Wesley to like give him a hard time. Mm-hmm. Like I really think that it was just, there wasn't that much thought put into it and they just wanted Wesley to give him a hard time or something. It is very weird. The first episode has Angel coming back from Sri Lanka and he has gifts for them. And Gunn seems to be on a like in a good place with Angel. But like Gunn and Angel, they're static immediately. Look, I didn't have a beef with Merle, all right? I mean, we're sorry he got dead, but come on. Is this really the kind of thing we should be spending our time on? I mean, he was what he was, right? What's that supposed to mean? Nothing. Means what it means. Somebody killed a demon. Hello, we do that every day. Mo was harmless. Okay. Sure you're not just bent because maybe we interrupted something you'd rather be doing? No. Okay. Usually it doesn't take you two hours to answer a page is all. Excuse me, but did somebody put you back in charge? Because if they did, they forgot to tell me about it. Where the hell did that come from? We start antagonistic for reasons I don't understand. So they're at Merle's investigating because uh, his slime is everywhere. That, that light bulb makes me want to barf every time I see it. <laughs> it, like, makes me gag. Oh, that's so gross. Yeah, he is a slimy one. Gunn, of course, brings up the fact that uh, Angel's not in charge anymore. And, and this episode also reiterates that Wes is very much in charge. Which is not an improvement, but okay. <laughs> Wes steps in and just sends, sends Gunn back home. And Angel realizes he has to now get to know Merle in order to solve his murder, which is actually not the case. Uh, he wants to get on his detective Angel hat 
but it's not time yet. We will have a Detective Angel moment, but now is not the time. I think, so speaking to the moment where, like, uh, Wes sends Gun home. Is this the white supremacy jingle? Yes! <laughs> you know what that sounds like to me? What? White supremacy. Woven in not too subtly. White supremacy. have it playing playing underneath us for this entire episode (sighs) you know what would make a lot of sense if they like explicitly stated that this was like the anniversary of gun sister's death that would put a lot of things into context for gun especially that's too much like character development yeah i'm apparently just like workshopping how to make this episode better as we go but yeah he showed up at his old cruise spot and he's clearly hesitant to do so um he's immediately attacked by a a jacked uh street youth uh (laughs) But then Gun Geo shows Street up. Youth. Yeah, uh, you can tell he's bad because he has a little swag in a step. He's got a personality, so he's evil. Rondell says something that is, is not intended to be cr- uh, passive aggressive, but it is. Fam, it's no better than to even cross Venice Boulevard these days. Cruise as tight as it's ever been, even back in your day. Again, people who don't know how to write people of color and their language mm-hmm. just. Yeah. Say things like that. Yeah. So apparently vamps don't dare cross uh, Venice Boulevard these days uh, because of <laughs> how, how the crew has been doing. Gun's crew clearly started uh, when they were introduced in Warzone. Like they were like a, a Lost Boys type of situation. So is the, the like the implication that Gun basically grew up? Is that is that what the show is trying to say? He grew up and no longer wanted to help his neighborhood. So that's good. Yeah, I mean that's that's literally the basis of this episode. Like that's the the root of the auto racism that is part of this episode. It's like, oh, I found the people who do this the better, the right, the more sanctified, holy way, quite literally. And you know, I'm moving on up, and I've left y'all behind, and you know, I'm coming to tell you how you need to act. Mm-hmm. And you know, he, he's the uppity Negro at this point, right? Like he's mm-hmm. he's sedity, you know? Yeah. And, and and it's a horrible thing. It's a, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible message. Okay, we don't necessarily ever go back to, you know, Sunnydale, right? But, like, we don't pretend they're not there. We don't not come help them. We don't, like, even if we're operating differently as angel investigations. But, like, somehow there's a group of humans who do better than the Scoobies do of doing their job, frankly. Uh, who've been holding it down and protecting a neighborhood no one is willing to protect. They're all more useful than than Xander, like, like the like the jacked little boy who attacks Gun. He's great. Yeah, and it's like why the only difference between the Scoobies and these kids is they're not white. Mm-hmm. Their system is not extremely hierarchical. Mm-hmm. Everyone is skilled and valued for their skill. Like. I mean, yeah. It's horribly racist. It's just the implication that the ways that this works aren't appropriate and it doesn't follow the rules. Like, I mean, hashtag white supremacy culture. Like, and no. The one thing, like, uh, Guns Will Crew, like, had, like, against them before this, obviously, is just that they didn't have anyone, like, on the books doing research because, like, they didn't need to because they, they were going against vampires who were, like, picking people off in their, you know, their community, which is, that's what, now, 
now the issue, like the actual issue is that, that they're growing, you know, they're seeking out demons, but without knowing, you know, that some are like very peaceful. Some literally keep the balance as Wes says about one of them. And it's just like, they're kind of choosing to be, stand with ignorance. And now it's like the ignorant black people, they're doing it all wrong. <laughs> and I just want to note that Geo is played by Khalil Kane, who at this time I would have known from like an episode of Sister, Sister. He plays like a 21 year old that Lisa goes on a date with. <laughs> And like in some episodes of Living Single and like he went on to be on Girlfriends. And like, I think I actually, I like his performance. He has like a swag I really like. So of course the show uses that against me because he is so evil. But I like, I like his personality. There are some really interesting things that are played with when it comes to coolness, i.e. blackness mm -hmm. uh, in fantasy. They're often evil as hell. Yeah. Uh <laughs> because they're cocky and, I hate it. and they're too big for their britches. Why are all the cool ones also always evil? <laughs> He's like really cool. And like, we'll get into this later. But I think, again, this is why I'm like, this could be an interesting arc because there is a story to be told again, where Geo is like the inverse of Gunn and that like he had a similar situation. He sought out Charles Gunn basically because he heard about him. And then he saw what Gunn did and basically he thinks he sold out. So he's like, I'm going to do things the other way. That's a good story. And that'd be really interesting because I think Khalil Kane is very good in this. But no. It just bugs me that, like, they take so many good, good moments. There's so many good morsels in here, and they never quite give us a meal. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Yes. It's like there's tiny beats everywhere that are just so good, and yeah. then they just go, and we're going to move along to push this very awkward narrative. Like, no, you stay here. You dig in your claws here for a bit. Like, mm -hmm. sit down, Estelle. Have some sweet tea. Swing on the porch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? You know what's a meal? What is good? Uh, is something I've never noticed until now is uh, the fact that Angel is wearing leather pants with that uh, dark blue long sleeve shirt. And I didn't notice that before. And I noticed mm -hmm. it and, and rewound it numerous times rewatching this episode this morning. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, is he wearing leather pants? And then I'm like, he's wearing leather pants. I need to keep going back to this for scientific purposes because I am a podcast host. So this is important to me. And it's good. He's got a booty stare and hot spiky hair If you're straight or gay, your tingly feelings don't care You're just being honest about this sexy demonic in your Bye for Boreanaz Bye for Boreanaz Bye for Boreanaz Like Angel and Leather is just always there's no bad there's no bad he's just this is just hanging around leather pants is what's happening here i mean this was the coyote ugly years like a lot of us had pleather pants and it was a look it, it, it's it's very much a look angel and his look uh, is having a conversation with cordy and they're talking about fred fred is now like going into the courtyard and talking to shrubs but you know she's not leaving the hotel and Angel, he's like, he wants her like to experience the world without fear, which is why he wants Cordelia to talk to her. If anyone knows how to live in the world, it's Cordelia Chase, you know? Mm-hmm. Cut to a big slimy demon drinking a big gulp in the sewers. He's just drinking a big gulp, minding his business, and he is attacked by the crew led by Geo. One of them says, smoke him, Geo. Mm, what is he, sausage? Jesus. <laughs> Should we call Gio Lil Smokey? <laughs> yes. Back at the bookie's apartment, you can see the little um, 
bit from the crossbow that Gio was using, which was, of course, a gun creation. Gun uh, loved uh, making, like, metalworking, basically. He's, like, extremely skilled in so many ways. And somehow, again, he's boiled down to this episode. Yeah, yeah. why don't we have more of Gun like, creating weapons for the crew, for the team, like, Angel? The problem is that whoever the attacker is isn't making distinctions between whether they're evil or not. And then Angel comes in with the news of the the slimy Big Gulp demon. Who's in Century City? If you're not from L.A., Century City is, like, directly next door to Beverly Hills. It's kind of, like, the businessy center. A lot of law offices of people who, like, live in Beverly Hills. It just makes no sense that there's, like, a random sewer that looks like this with a demon chilling in it. It just does not. (laughs) It also means that these uh, black street toughs are coming into the rich neighborhoods now and bringing their, their black violence is what's happening here. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, I'm really surprised that uh, Gio's not from Chicago. I'm surprised he didn't just go with that. <laughs> that would have hit too many stereotypes on the nose, like directly on the nose. That would have broken a nose. <laughs> exactly. That would have been just a bloody nose. So Gunn also sees the evidence of his, uh, his crossbow uh, point. So he uh, sneaks that out and he's like, I'm going to go to the streets to see if there's anything I can find. <laughs> Again, Angel knows something's up, but like, I don't understand why like Angel and Gunn are just being so weird in this episode to each other in the first place. And I think maybe this is what Tim Maneer means when he says it's the direction because Angel's weirdness also kind of makes sense if it's like we're supposed to be seeing it from Gunn's perspective, how he sees angel like it's not even what angel is but like how he's like perceives angel in this instance and just usually maybe like it's gun sees angel as snippy towards him even if he's not and maybe that's what maybe that's what tim Manier was trying to show okay yeah like if you follow it if you follow gun that would make sense yeah yeah and in that case then it definitely is a direction problem yeah so like if it starts from gun's point of view in Caritas, Caritas, whatever. I only English mildly well. And then, you know, it goes straight to his nightmare, to him. Like, if we just follow him, and even if we, like, need to have the Cordy Angel thing, he's, like, passing through that area, and it literally is just a POV of guns. Yes. Then that explains... I could maybe see yeah. this being less bad. Yes. And that also, that really explains what's the weirdness between him and Angel in this episode. We're cracking the code on this episode. I'm actually glad that we're finally getting to, like, the the, the real bottom, of, other than, you know, just, oh, well, white people were behind all of this. <sighs> and now I think we know what Tim Maneer's intent was and what didn't come out in the production of it. And that's why he was blaming the direction. Yeah. Intent versus impact, kids. And the impact is quite interesting. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie... 
in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX. There's so many ways to watch movies these days. Your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets. You will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. As I was saying, the Geo story works better if, like, he, you know, he set out to find Gun and then found out what Gun had made of himself and decided to go the opposite way. Because, like, Geo is really smart and he's really smart about finding, like, where demons are. He was tracking Gun apparently for months. Like, he is, like, on top of all of these things. And that, again, makes it make more sense if it's, like, is a multi episode arc. He might be violent, but, he, like, he's this brilliant hunting mind. And that's what makes him so scary, you know? That's what it is, is they rushed making him the villain, right? So they just dumped all the villain on your head. But if you had this character that, like, maybe you just, like, see in the background of something. Because, you know, we were weird close watchers by this point. If you were watching Angel, you'd probably start with Buffy. You learned to watch real close. So if you had this character that was just showing up places, maybe it's helpful. Maybe it's useful sometimes. Maybe it gets to the point where, like, they need Angel investigations needed information, but the demon's already dead. Like... If you can build him up to being this highly capable, highly terrifying villain that's more than one dimension, I think this would have been so much better. It's like what I'm seeing is like a street better version of the initiative, essentially, is what I see with like Geo. And I actually think that's a really interesting idea. Yeah. And the black guy doesn't get like a weird monstrous death. <laughs> Unnecessarily monstrous death. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And like, I think that's also, but again, it's part of the power play that exists in the in the Buffy verse is any power that is not bestowed by a specific kind of magic or association with a specific kind of magic is ultimately punished and seen as wrong. Yeah, and now we've got guns involved because they can't just be, you know, this crew protecting their home. They've got to be a straight up gang because they're black and live in South LA, Clearly. baby. Like, it's so upsetting. Yeah, it really is. Another note I had, it was, like, another thing that make, would work for Geo for just doing this in one episode is that if he ends up being, like, a demonic, like, manifestation of Gunn's subconscious and guilt, like, the way he steps to, uh, up to Gun and he's like, you know, he still thinks you're a hero. We know that's wrong, right, Charles? Like, it seems like he, this is something that Gun has just manifested. That could be another thing if you just want to make Geo demonic. There are so many ways to do this. It's not even so many ways. It's so many better ways of doing this. 
again, the gun thing is bad. Rolling up uh, to demons' homes just like with like assault weapons is bad, just in general. But like, let's not pretend that like Buffy, like for the first two seasons, was calling, patrolling, hunting. Like she was actively hunting for these vampires. At the same time, we since season two, we've also have things like Willie's place. You know, Willie the Snitch's place, where like demons could just go. So even like teenage Buffy was realizing, you know, not all evil things are evil things. Back at the hotel, Cordelia takes the time now to go talk to Fred. Fred makes a point, which is that no one will notice me with you around. Because, you know, Fred is not blind. I'm just saying. <laughs> Sweet, massy little Fred. <laughs> Gun shows up. He's got the evidence. I think he, he wants to do like a stealth, like putting the evidence back thing. He doesn't get a chance because Angel is lurking. Or so it would seem. Detective Angel. Yes, Detective Angel is back. Play the jingle. Detective Angel. Detective Angel realizes the chaos and randomness has a purpose, and that's to have fun. Which, you know what? Doesn't seem like a very demonic thing to do. Now does it? Yeah, that's a very human throw kill. And then Gunn changes the, the subject uh, where he's like, I came to see the boss. And he's clearly like trying to do it as like a digging way. But again, because we're not seeing this from Gunn's perspective, it falls flat. <laughs> I, I don't think they quite understood as writers, like, two super damaged, super I failed as leaders, like, alpha men. How to both write those as, like, individual characters, but especially, like, write them together. And allowing them both to be leaders instead of, like, choosing one has to be subservient. And it's not going to be Angel, obviously. It's like if the one thing that we learned from the B-Word show is that, you know, things work a lot better when we step away from, like, the weird hierarchy that's been imposed upon us by all of the things. And we start, like, leading from a group standpoint. So, like, why are we three seasons into Angel and not having figured that out when someone else already did the book work? And I think it's like, it's weird because obviously it's Angel Investigations. Angel is like their top fighter. But like Angel is like acquiescing to Wes. Like he is taking orders from Wes. But like Gunn is still acting as though like Angel is like imposing his will and saying he's in charge. When he's like very much not actually. What we need to do is we need to be able to see that like this from his head. That, that way we can like figure that out. Because like otherwise it's just he is reacting to something that's not there. It's like um, the body switch episode from the B Word show where you follow the character who switched. It wouldn't make sense if you just like did it like a regular episode. You needed to follow the character that like was the the main plot point. Yeah. That is what needed to happen here. Everyone is over at Caritas. Wes and Cordelia with Fred. Fred is up there singing Patsy Klein's Crazy. Crazy. I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. <laughs> Gun comes in, of course. He's panicking. But he actually takes a moment and stops and he sees Fred uh, singing karaoke. And his, his little smile at her singing karaoke is really sweet. He's a sweet, sweet man who just has had a lot of trauma. Sweet, sweet baby Gun. <laughs> and you know what? Lorne is actually, like, he's here for Gun and like, he wants to help him with whatever it is. And then there are gunshots. Because clearly. Because that's yeah. how you announce the black people are, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Gun, again, Gun immediately protects Thorne. He, like, he covers him and he immediately takes him to behind the bar. And just to remind you that these guys are bad. They are shooting up the booze and the lights. Things they don't need to shoot. Rondell's ready to leave, but then Geo's like... Oh, don't be in such a rush now. What's such a hurry? Love to miss out on some of the more interesting things in life. Yo, Charlie Gunn. 
Come on now. I know you in here. Where you at? Right here. Lauren, as we all know, is a delightful demon. Lauren is great. There's no, not a bad thing to say not about like Lauren. But like Lauren clearly looks like like a stereotypical devil. He has horns. He's got horns, baby. I can understand seeing Lauren and being terrified. But you know what? If you get to know him, you'll know he's not terrifying. He loves Aretha Franklin. Like, I love that Lauren like both loves them and is also like, why are you people like this? He wants to send people on their paths. He wants them to be happy. But like, every time he helps, bad things happen to him. He gets thrown across rooms. He gets his entire club shot up. He gets, has to go back to Pylea. He hates Pylea. He loves these people. Just leave him alone. It really is just like some white nonsense, drag, like dragging him in all the time. When Gunn apologizes to, to Lauren, Rondell is like, what the fuck? Now you're apologizing to this thing? And then I have to say, Wesley. Sweet, sweet Wesley. Hashtag white people. Like, we weren't doing good by ourselves, but you just made it so much worse, Wesley. <laughs> and then Rondell, knowing full well that Gunn is defending these people, that, like, Wesley has clearly hunted before and is human, just goes full next level, just goes axe crazy. And it's like, are you human? Like, what? What are we doing? You should have a take a moment. Like, exactly. Just, there is nothing that is processing there. And meanwhile, while the children are misbehaving, the sole adult has finally made the right choice and gone to Angel. He is ready to, to go to a certain suicide, as a Cordelia calls it. So you mean regular old Angel? Yeah. He wants the D. <laughs> which is death, of course. So Angel gives her the address to the Transuting Furies, who are... Uh, the women that Lauren hires monthly to do the sanctuary spell in Caritas. And this is where um, Lauren brings, because now that Gio sung, uh, Lauren brings up uh, Miami and how Gio ran. Uh, it's all very vague. It's like, after what you did, she trusted you. Right up to the end, she trusted you. Did you know that? Which is never actually like the full story. We don't know. This is what gives me the impression again that Gio like, did have a similar thing to the gun Alana with an O situation? Oh, 100%. Like, he either had a girlfriend, mom, sister, or someone who died because he messed up. I'm pretty sure he got overzealous, doing exactly what he's doing now, thinking he is the king of the demon hunters, and messed up, and someone else paid the price. One demon tries to run, uh, which I, I've noted him as the flesh one, because, like, he looks like... Just flesh. And then you, you got Oh God Demon. The, the flesh was an Oh God Demon. And Oh God Demon still going Oh God. During all this uh, kerfuffle, Gunn is able to get a gun and he points it at Rondell and company. <laughs> uh, and so this is where Gio really gets on his high horse and he starts going on about the baby killing monster. It just becomes this weird, drawn out, like Bellatrix Lestrange the evolution of a character all in one go you know it starts being like maybe he's really the monster he makes all these weird accusations and it's actually like very much again a ham-fisted stab at race relations the idea that gun is no longer with his crew that is black and brown he is not with these white people so maybe he has the same questionable morals that geo believes the all-white Angel Investigations team has. So, and then in, you know, full 
Heather's fashion, uh, dude snaps and shoots baby killing monster. I mean, you could have you could have shot Geo. I'm just saying, you you had the shot clearly. And then Angel shows up all cool like, being like, gonna shoot me too, because he's Angel. Angel decides he's gonna make it simple for Gun. He turns on his vamp face and says like, make a damn choice, because that's what Gun needs to do. Like, just fucking okay, do something. But it's dumb because Gun has clearly made the choice. He's clearly made the choice. That's the thing. Like, a- he hasn't spoken to those people. He hasn't worked with them. And even, he wasn't even necessarily protecting them so much as trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. Well, no, it makes sense if, like, the tension that is supposed to be built from what we were seeing from Gunn's perspective actually worked. It makes sense based on yeah. what the intent of the story is, not based on what we've actually seen. That's fair. Yeah. And this is when we get the Furies and a handheld camera situation. Mmm, Angel. Mmm, Angel. Despite what, what we all think about Angel, at some point, Angel fucked. Ew. Oh. <laughs> You're welcome. And, and with that, I think it's time for Fuck Watch. Fuck Watch. My fuck watch, I think makes sense. I think you could all tell from the moment I brought it up. It's not Angel. It's Angel's dark blue long sleeve shirt, leather pants combination, like kind of like anthropomorphized, like through a Phantom Jenna situation. Like that that's that's my pick. Uh I couldn't stop thinking about it from the moment I saw it and rewound and then saw it and rewound again and then saw it and rewound again. I mean, I would actually probably go with like the image that we just had of like the three witches. <laughs> Floating in front of charisma, just because I have like a thing for the witches in the Buffy verse. Mmm, <laughs> Mac, is that what you want to hear? <laughs> Maybe. I knew it. Fuck watch. Back at Caritas. Gunn's giving a speech. He's saying that Angel can never be his friend because he's a vampire. But unlike Rondell, Angel still got the mission. Rondell's not happy about that. And this is where Gia's like, a monster lover ain't no better than a monster. He's going to kill everyone, even the humans, unless one of the humans wants to step up and kill Angel, then they can go free. And then Fred's the one who volunteers saying, she's sorry, she just doesn't want to die. Fair. Which, you know what? That's fair. What do you, girl? Geo patronizing this girl is like, you, you gotta shoot in the heart. Uh, and she turns it to his throat and she uses science talk because science is also important. How he'll bleed to death and won't be able to scream. Which is, you know what? It's nice. I like that. The, the magical veil lifts and Angel can fight. And this is where we learn that Mr. Oh God, Oh God. So he's clearly, an, I would say, possibly a non-violent demon, but he can be a dangerous demon. So he's able to do a little... Do a little chomp. Uh, and he uh, eats Geo. Honestly, I think we need to think about all of our choices that got us here when a insect demon is the one that de-escalates the situation. Yeah, it, it is time to think about the lessons of this episode. And you know, one lesson that Angel could have learned from this entire episode is if he watched a certain episode of television from a certain WB series... WB. 
was thinking, what episode of television from the WB should Angel watch? Should it be from one of the many black sitcoms that propped up the WB when it first started, only to be replaced by all these white teenagers and pastors? The way Fox did, started as Black Network, transitioned to the white people. WB started as a Black Network, transitioned to the white people. UPN started as a Black Network, tried to uh, transition to the white people. It failed, and then we got the CW out of the ashes of the WB and UPN. But instead, I chose the white people. Episode 16 of season three of Dawson's Creek, To Green With Love. Uh, This is the episode of Dawson's Creek, which deals with the open hate and racism that you can can exist in a small New England town. Finally, more than just discussing Joey's sister's black boyfriend, and the fact that you know, try as the, these white children may to make everything right, they just can't solve that inherent hate and racism. So they never try again after this episode of television. And you know what? Angel could watch this, could really absorb, could see Joey Potter trying to save the day and failing. He could really learn something about how to treat Black people, even if it ends with them leaving town because the rest of Cape Side, Massachusetts just couldn't stand that this uh, Black principal, who was the father of Bianca Lawson's Nikki Green, uh, was punishing a privileged white man. <laughs> this one of many episodes of, of Dawson's Creek that Angel could actually probably learn something from, but I wholeheartedly agree with your analysis. Gunn's old crew is leaving. We don't hear the conversation because why would we hear anything Gunn has to say to Rondell? But you can tell basically they just decided that Rondell and the crew will stick to their side of town and Gunn will stick to his now. That's hashtag segregation, quite literally. Literal segregation is how this uh, story ends. And then uh, Wes threatens to fire Gunn if he ever withholds information again. And he says that no one on the team could ever put others in danger. <laughs> Write that down in your Shantu prophecy. Wes says basically zero tolerance. So if anyone on the team withholds any information ever, they should be removed from the team. Do you agree, Mac? In theory, yes. Like many, many people we know, the theory is, is on fleek. The practice is non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hear first, guys. Wesley Winter Price on Fleek. <laughs> I will say this scene works in the sense that it uh, it makes clear that um, there's no place like Plurt's Blurb, like leader Wesley is was not just like a one off. He's here to stay. He is a, like he is the leader of Angel Investigations, and he's like running a tight ship basically. And he's not the the rogue demon hunter he once was. Gunn wants at least some brownie points, which after what he did in this episode, I don't know how, uh, which is that like, hey, at least I proved that you can trust me since I didn't kill you. And Angel's like, uh, no, I'll know I can trust you when you have to kill me. And you do. He knows like Cordelia and Wesley won't hesitate, you know? I honestly think Cordy, you know, might hesitate, but. Based like from where like we were first two seasons, she wouldn't have hesitated. Like right now, they seem like in a very good place and like very... There is like a dependency. Yeah. Like they're they're a team in a way. She cares so much. She's about grown. It. She's had her character development. And he's grown too to be like someone she could like want to not kill when the time comes because she just cares so much about him. This is also true. So that was uh that old gang of mine. 
Mac, thank you so much for talking about this episode and like really kind of figuring it out with me after all these years of not really having the full context for what makes this episode what it is. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it, it was actually really good because I definitely came into this going, God, this this such a like a racist episode. And it, it was really nice to talk, like, talk it through and be like, there were twists, there were turns. Understanding what works, understanding why it doesn't work and how it could work, you know. No one wants to just come on to like a podcast and like shit on something unless like it's like really 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 bad I've, I've definitely shat on shows before that have been really really bad but like I don't I don't want to shit on the show you know the, the whole huh. idea is to be to not be a passive consumer of media is really all, it, all it's about like enjoy it but like understand and be an active participant in it. and I think that's what these conversations are about so Mac where can we find you on the internet on the internet, you can find me on Instagram at MacMacTalksBack, M-A-C-K-M-A-C TalksBack. Um, on the Twitters at MacMacTalksBack, but there's no A in Talks, so it's MacMacTLKSBack. I'm also on TikTok. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I am on Twitter at LaFergs. Uh, and you, of course, you can find uh, Angel on Topcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can uh, email us at angelontoppodcast at gmail.com and if you want to listen to me talk about uh, horny vampires instead of brooding vampires, you can listen to me over at The Empire Diaries and thank you for listening everyone. Uh, our next episode is Carpe Noctum. Mm, angel. <laughs> Sounds good. Later. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.